Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Dick Folk. You can find us on national.cc or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I'm looking good grief, people everywhere. I love this. I was 10 years old at a summer camp, the first summer camp I'd ever been to in Northern California. And uh, when you're 10 years old, they split the crowd, the boys over here and the girls over there, because the other people have cooties, you know, you can see you do that. And there was this guy who came, his name was Roy, four times older than I, almost 40 years old. And he wore a World War II Army uniform, and he had a dummy, he was a ventriloquist, and he was a storyteller par excellence. And he had a, a deep chuckle and kindly eyes, and he gave us joy. When he told us stories, when he looked at us, there were, he didn't see us as a category, well, 10-year-olds. He didn't do that. You got the distinct feeling that he saw us as individuals. And so when he looked at us, we felt real. Today, it's about seeing. The God who sees. Last week, Pastor Mark did this masterful uh, explanation and teaching on the God who hears us. But I'm going to talk to you about the God who sees us. Roy was a pastor, but he was a wannabe farmer. And he carried one of these. Anybody seen one of these before? This is like a farmer's handkerchief. You know, they used to wear a neckerchief and they could put it up like we do masks today over because it would keep out dust and hay and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but I thought about that when I was preparing. I said, how did I take that and show them what he, and he had one of these? And when our kids were small, we would play a game with them when they were little, really little. And we'd do this. <laughs> Peekaboo. Hey, hey, here I am. How many have played that game in one form or another? And the image of that, the whole thing about that is that when kids are little and you do this, they think you're gone because they can't see you when, in fact, you're always there. I think God is saying, just because you can't see me doesn't mean I'm not here. And this God who sees, I ask myself the question like, so what does that mean? I mean, some of us, we say, God sees us. Yes. And some of us, we say, God sees us. You say, oh, boy. <laughs> right? So like, which one is it? And the answer to that is yes. Yeah. All of the above, right? I mean, is it, is it that he knows what you're up to? Is he the cosmic surveillance person? Is that how that works? I mean, seeing has lots of pieces to it. It's acknowledgement, it's engagement, it's recognition, it's discovery. It could be found out, it could be applauded. You know, you have all these pieces of what does it mean to see and be seen. I was on a flight some years ago coming back to speak here. And I was sitting in the exit row. I like a little extra room. And for some reason, I was in the window seat. Usually, I like the aisle for whatever reasons. And a young uh, East Asian man came and sat next to me. Turned out he was from India as so we had a little conversation. And 
And then a younger, a young woman, of course, everybody's young to me, but I would say she was in her, I would say she was in her upper 30s or early 40s, right? Just a kid. And, uh, and she came and sat there, and I don't always engage people on airplanes. And for sure I don't say, what do you do? Because then they ask me what I do. And I learned early on that if they ask you that question and you say, I'm a pastor or clergy, it just does that. And then they'll say something like, oh, um, I got a cousin who's a priest. And then we eat our pretzels and that's the end. It It does not go anywhere from there, right? So I don't ask that question. So I wasn't asking that question. He happened to be a young executive for a tech firm here in Northern Virginia. And we were talking and he told me he was from Hyderabad in India. And of course, I was brought up for some years in India. And by the way, if you want to be surveilled, go to Hyderabad. I, I checked this out. Ten and a half million people, 440,000 surveillance cameras in Hyderabad. That's 42, 42 cameras per, per thousand people. I just knew you'd want to know that little piece of information. But anyway, we were having this wonderful conversation. And I had a friend who had worked in Hyderabad. We were going along. And in the middle of it, this young woman leaned over and said, excuse me, uh, I don't mean to interrupt, but are you Dick Foth? (laughs) And I said, yes. She said, I love it when you teach at our church, National Community Church. (laughs) And I said, "Are are you like still that? She said, no, no. But we were in one of the first small groups that this church had. They lived in Falls Church. And, and so being seen has lots of ramifications to it, and you can be outed like that. I was trying to protect that, and boom, they and brought me out. So, so when, I, when I go back to the beginning, when I go back to Genesis 1 and look at the verbs, listen to the verbs. Created, you know, it's sort of action city. Created, hovered, said, let there be, made, separated, called. All of those verbs are there, and then here it comes, and he saw what he had done, and it was good. He's the artist, he's the speaker, yes. and he's the seer in the ultimate sense of seer. He saw that it was good and it implies that he had designed something that was effective. It, it implies that he created something that he affirmed and approved. I would like to submit that when we talk about God seeing us, that's the place it starts. That's the language of the beginning. But there's more language in Scripture about my beginning. Listen to Psalm 139, just a verse. Psalm 139, a friend of mine back in Fort Collins, Colorado, calls this the biochemist psalm. You can read it to understand why. But it, it says this in verse 16, Your eyes saw my unformed body. And then goes on to say, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. I read that first part and I say, that's cool. Saw my unformed body. And then that part there, I say, really? Like, does he know everything that I'm going to do ever? If that's the case, where's my will in it? How does that? Well, you need to understand this is poetic language for starters. But from single cell, microscopically, embryonically, DNA, genetic code, He knew that. He saw that. So my story and yours 
in its larger sense, hasn't taken him by surprise. I think I, I read that somewhere. I like that phrase. But it, this is speaking about God's knowledge of me. The script for our lives are not written from here. I don't believe that they're written point by point along the way. But the span of our lives is viewed, and it's sovereignly determined. I have a friend who often says, our days are in his hands. Our days, and the older I get, I say, counting on that. I'm on the clock, you know. Our days are in his hand. God knew us because he formed us. And even though he's the God of great and wonderful works, these massive things, he sees individuals like my friend Roy. By the way, my friend Roy, I had no idea that 11 years later he would become my father-in-law. But that's a story for another day. Some of you have heard that story. He sees you and loved you before you were even born. And I like this part too. And he sees us in the end. Psalm 116.15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Or the old King James says, the death of the saints. I love that. Precious. What a powerful thought that even in that moment that we think is the end, but he knows is the beginning, there's something profound. So hearing, seeing, loving, they're all connected, aren't they? They overlap. I don't know if they're like Olympic rings or if they're more like a tapestry, but they mix. And so when we use language, you say, I hear you. I heard that last week. I hear you. And I see you. It's similar, but it's not exactly the same. If, if I could just take the body as a metaphor for a moment. When we explore how we see each other, we have a better sense for how God might see us. Okay? Because I can't see God, but I can see you. So how I see and hear is critical to one thing in my life, one big thing, and that's my balance, physical balance. Physical balance is three things. It'll be on the screen. Three components of balance are the visual system, how I see, the vestibular system, how I hear, and I love this one. I might have to have Pastor Mark come up and say this one. The proprioceptive system. That's my awareness. That's, that's the test that sometimes they do when you go to get a physical or alongside the road on occasion, they say, close your eyes and touch your nose. <laughs> Are you with me here? You're, you're with me, okay? But, but the point is that sight and hearing are key components of my equilibrium. I would submit in metaphor that that's exactly how it is in my spiritual life, that how I understand God sees me and hears me and vice versa is critical to my equilibrium because being heard and seen affects my balance. But we're talking about seeing. How one sees affects so much between us. Ruth and I, some years ago, were invited to Radio City Music Hall for their Christmas program in New York City. We went up on the train, and I have to tell you, when, when you have a program that has the Rockettes on one end and the Jesus story on the other, it's a very interesting program. I'm just putting that out there, okay? But it was, it was a powerful piece when they told that Jesus story. And afterwards, we went to get back on the train, and I, can't, I don't know the name, I think, Pennsylvania train station or something, and they have no chairs for you to sit in. 
So you've got to go to like the Pizza Hut or the Burger King or someplace to find a chair. So we're sitting there in Pizza Hut and an older woman, we were then, I suppose in our 50s or early 60s, and she was in her 70s, and she said, could I sit with you? I said, yes, we sat down, started a conversation, and I asked my standard question, so where's home for you originally? And she told me, and she told us she went to college at a certain place and went to work for Hallmark, and her whole career ended up at Hallmark in marketing in a, in a VP role. She retired and recently had gone back to work at Gunt Toys in New York City. They make, I think, wooden toys or something. And I said, what's the difference in the workplace now compared to when you were, you know, back in the day? And she said, it's how we communicate. She said, I can't quite get past somebody sitting next to me. And this is 20 years ago, 25 years ago. Can't quite get past somebody sitting in the next cubicle and sending me an email. Yeah, I just, it, you know, today it would be a text, but back then it was email. I said, well, it's efficient. She said, yeah. I said, what do you, what do you miss? She said, well, what I miss is the face-to-face -face eye contact because when you have eye contact, her language, it makes you human. Well, I don't think she had read this guy. His name's Atsushi Senju, professor of social neuroscience, University of London. This is what he says. It'll be on the screen. A richer mode of communication is made possible right after making eye contact. It amplifies the ability to read all the signals so you are able to read the other person's brain. Now, when people do that with me, it's light reading. I'm just saying, you know, but the, but, the, but the point is there is something about eye contact, isn't it, that, that sustains or uh, expresses this. I love the story of the young mom who takes her, I'm, I'm guessing he's an eight-year-old, I'll just say eight-year-old boy, and they go to a restaurant in New York City. They sit down, and the waitress comes, and she server says, so what will you have for lunch? And the little boy says, I'll take a hot dog, fries, and a Coke. He said, ma'am, what would you like? She said, I will take a, a Cobb salad with light balsamic dressing and, um, and, uh, and some water with lemon. And, uh, and my son here will have uh, grilled chicken, green beans, and milk. <laughs> and the wait, waitress, the, the lady said, okay, so ma'am, you'll have a Cobb salad with light balsamic and water with lemon. And uh, you, son, will have uh, hot dog fries and a Coke. And she turned and walked away. <laughs> and the little boy looks at his mom and says, hey, mom, she thinks I'm real. <laughs> We're back to that word. When I'm seen, I feel like I'm real because it affirms what God already sees that is good. He sees us and it's good. And, you know, this whole business of face-to-face, -face, that speaks of intimacy, doesn't it? I mean, that's the hope in the kingdom. Uh, 1 Corinthians says it this way, 1 Corinthians 13. For now we see, 13, 12, for now we see only a reflection in a mirror, Paul says. Then we shall see face-to-face. -face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Face-to-face. You know, I, I like Zoom calls. That's, that's better than a phone call in some ways. But, um, but it's not face-to-face. Because -face. when we're face-to-face -face seeing each other, there is the, we sense stuff. We watch body language. You know, all of this is being seen. I love the old gospel song. Hadn't thought of it for years till I was doing this message. And it's, it goes like this. 
Someday the silver cord will break, and I no more, as now, shall sing. But oh, the joy when I shall wake within the palace of the king, and I shall see him face to face and tell the story, saved by grace, and I shall see him face to face and tell the story, saved by, it's grace that helped me walk in this door. It's the only thing that helps us walk in the door because I can't earn it. I can't do enough to get there. Only someone else does enough to get me there. So here's the question. When do I most feel the need to be seen? When do I feel the need to be seen the most? I would submit that it's in desert places. It's in the places where I feel by myself cut off, I'm lonely, wandering, I'm parched, I'm disoriented. There's a powerful story in Genesis 16, many of you know it. Hagar was a servant girl to Sarah and Abraham to Sarah. And uh, Sarah and Abraham were unable to have children and so back in the culture of the day, Abram went to her and I won't get into all of the culture or theology of that, but the fact is she got pregnant, had a child and Sarah was jealous, didn't like it and ended up she got excommunicated if it were just sent out into the into the desert and what's what's interesting about things like this because Hagar is going to give God a name that sounds kind of weird I thought he named himself you know but there are cases where somebody gives him a name now when when Ruth and I became grandparents we found that out because you can say, call me grandpa or call me grandma, but if they can't say it, it's going to be whatever they can get out of their mouths. So some people are Mimi, some people are Nana. There's a bumper or two around, you know. When it became great-great-grandparents, it couldn't be grandpa or, you know, great-grandpa is a lot harder than grandpa. And so we became mom-mom and dad-dad as great-grandparents. But here's Hagar, the namer the one in a desert place. And she's a young mother in complicated circumstances. She turns out to be the mother of Ishmael, and she's chased out of town, if you will. And in verse 13 of chapter 16 of Genesis, it says this, when God met her in her distress, she said, you are the God who sees me. I have now seen the one who sees me. Here is the God who's always looking at us, and we're out here wandering around, and in our distress, we lock eyes with the God who sees it all. This is the God who sees in the dark, right? This is the God who sees beyond. This is the God who sees around and sees through. This is the God that when I lock eyes with him, I get hope. That's how it works. And the name... The name that she gave God in Hebrew is El Roy. It's not my Roy of the Red Hanky, different Roy. But Roy of the Red Hanky had a lot of the other Roy in him. And there's something profound about saying, you are the God who sees me. I have seen the God who sees me. We have a dear friend in Fort Collins, Colorado. She's on the teaching team there at Timberline Church, and her name is Mackenzie Matthews. 
She just turned 35 years old. And she, for the last 14 months, has been another mother in a desert place. Not Hagar circumstances, but scary. And some of you will get this. Some of you have been there. Some of you may be right in the middle of it as we speak. On December 20th, 2021, Mackenzie was diagnosed with aggressive breast cancer at the age of 33 as an otherwise healthy young person with no family history of cancer. She started 16 rounds and six months of intensive chemo with for, for that amount of time with immunotherapy for a year. July of 2022, this past, she had invasive surgery. September through November just passed, radiation. Present day, she's on chemo pills, and it's ongoing. But the, but the markers are very good, and she's making progress. And all through this, she's been posting on Caring Bridge. Some of you know what that is, Caring. And, and just, it isn't that she didn't get down in the mix, it didn't, but she always had this sense in what she wrote. She's very articulate. And here is a young mom who knows in her desperate time that she's seen. So when I called her and said, I'm going to be speaking to our friends at NCC, and I have these three thoughts, and I want to run these. And so I told her the thoughts. I said, are those true for you? She said, those are exactly true for me. So I'm going to tell you the thoughts that are exactly true from Mackenzie Matthew, okay? First of all, how do I know God sees me? Well, I take his word for it. You know, there was a saying back in the day, if God said it, I believe it, right? And, and I admit that if he said it, I want to believe it. Anybody there, you want to believe it, but you're not, you're, you're, it's a little, and we can start there and go other places. But the fact is when I, that's a piece of me knowing I'm seen, is when I read his word, sense his spirit in that, there's a powerful thing of trusting that word just because. The second thought is when I experience his presence, there are some times in our lives where we're in a desperate place, maybe not even a desperate place, but we're in a place and his spirit shows up in a profound way, in a moment in time, catches us off guard. We're not ready for it. And there have been some moments in my life in difficult times when I can't figure it out. I can't sort my, I can be reading scriptures like there's no tomorrow, but I can't sort it out intellectually or emotionally. But his spirit in this unaccountable way shows up. Sometimes you don't want to breathe. Because you don't want to shake the moment. That's just how it is. For her, it was that. Because I asked her. For her, there were a couple of different songs that when she put them on, when she was in pain, or she felt like this wasn't going to ever end, or how was I going to get through that, and those songs spoke into her spirit in a way. And the third way was, I know God sees me when I meet his messengers. I say, well, like, who are those messengers? Well, you, okay? I mean, as Mackenzie walks through this and has walked through it, there are friends old and new, individual friends, friends gathered. There are cadres of friends, clusters, gangs. I would submit that you and I are God's eyes on the ground. And when we acknowledge, when we pray, 
when we walk into somebody's hurting space, that it is a profound expression of the God who sees us. This week she had a fun thing happen. And I said, can I use some of those pictures? She said, yeah. But before we get to the fun thing, let me just tell her story with pictures, okay? Her journey began 14 months ago with a head of long hair. And then it went to this. I identify with this more than the long hair. I'm just saying, not the pain. I'm just saying the look. And then she had this journey with lots of infusions. This is infusion number 14. She had her family, Justin, her husband, and Powell, her two-and-a-half-year-old. I feel like I need to step out of the way or duck down so you can get that look. I mean, uh, Justin is a UT University of Tennessee guy. He lives and dies Tennessee football and basketball. And Noah's two and a half and just full of baloney. He's just (laughs) one of those guys, right? And then she had wins. So she got flowers. I don't know if it's when she rang the bell when the procedure was over and she got the flowers. But last night at Colorado State University in Fort Collins, she and several other cancer survivors were honored by the basketball team and she got to go to practice and and one of the one of the basketball players greeted her that's a that's a we see you look right there okay and then there's this there's this seven foot one center from someplace called Sauk Center Minnesota you're a Minnesotan, Pastor Mark. I don't know if you know where that is. Seven foot one. And I'm submitting that you've got the center, you've got the guard, and you've got the point guard there. And the, the little guy's the point guard. And so the point guard needed to make some moves, but he wasn't quite big enough to get toward the basket. And so the Sox Center Minnesota guy helped him get toward the basket. And then he actually dunked it. And she said when he dunked it, which is the next picture, I think there's another picture there. Maybe not. Anyway, trust me. She said he must have dunked it a hundred times. He just, you know, he just kept dunking it. You say, well, I, I, thought, I thought this was a message on God who sees me. I want it to be deep. I want... That's deep. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm saying is that God's messengers touched by his Holy Spirit to move into somebody's space at a time. Oftentimes when people will back off. Oftentimes we're awkward, you know, when, when, when people, when we don't get it, we move away. But God's people who see like he sees move in. When I understand that God sees me, it helps me see myself. Where do I most need to be seen? In desert places or when I've wandered off? When I'm in a wandering place, I've had a couple of times in my life when I've wandered off. And this father who protects and provides is so uh, insightful, has such long-range vision that no matter how far I go, he can still see me. My favorite probably and most classic story that explains the heart of the father is the story we know as the prodigal son 
I really see it as the story of the gracious father. And most of you, many of you know that story. It's this probably the best Hebrew short story ever written from my perspective. But here's a young man who wants his inheritance early. And in essence, that said, I wish you were dead. And he goes off to a far country and he squanders all of his, all of his father's life. He squanders it. That's where prodigal comes from. It comes from the word prodigious, which means there's a lot of it. And he took a lot of it and blew it. And he comes to himself in a foreign country, slopping hogs. And for a Jewish boy to be in a foreign place with the pigs isn't where he wants to be. And it says he remembers his father's house and he heads home. And you know the story. But my favorite verse in that story is this. It's Luke 15, 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And he had shamed the family. He had shamed the community. By all rights, in that culture at that time, it would be an honor killing, what they call an honor killing. And the father needs to get there before the crowd gets there in my mind's eye. And I see this old man. Maybe he's got roomy eyes, but he sure didn't run the 50-yard dash like he used to. And, and he feels strength caused by compassion coming into his legs. And he starts picking him up and laying him down and heading for his boy. And it says that he throws his arms around him and holds him and he kisses him. There is something about that moment when people say, for the honor of the thing, we need to kill him. And this father comes and says, you know, I believe I'll give him his honor back. Amen. That's what I'll do. Amen. Because I see him with a different set of eyes than you folks see him. That's what we're going to... Some see a gaunt boy, mud cake, smelling like pigs, stumbling from hunger. And the old man knew that walk. He knew that gate that he sees way down the road. And the old legs start to move. Respected elders do not do this. And that hobbling run throws himself into the boy's arms. Because he sees not a boy that's half-starved, smelling like pigs. He sees what he might have been and what he still could be. He was holding his boy as fresh as the day he was born. That's the God who sees us. Because this isn't just a dad who was looking. This was a dad who was watching. So here comes the father. The gracious waiting father who sees forever. That compassionate God who sees. He has never lost sight of you. Or you. Or you. Or you. Or Mackenzie. Or Powell. Or Justin. Or Foth. He has never lost sight of us. He has never overlooked you. He has never looked past you. But let's stop there. Two things in closing. Would you give consideration to this possibility? Might you this week in February of 2023 be God's eyes? One of those messengers. The answer to somebody's prayer. Hearing, as of last year, hearing and feeling and sensing the nudge of the Spirit to walk into somebody's space. Or maybe 
you're like the boy on the road. And you've, you've been a long way off. You don't even really know why you came today or why you're listening online. But you know that wandering hasn't been good for you. And it certainly hasn't been good to you. You've been in a far country, but in this moment in time, you're heading home to the God who sees. You know, you know that God who sees, the one, the one with the low chuckle and the kindly eyes, that one. And this is your moment. So I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray for those of us who say, Lord, help me be your eyes on the ground this week. And pray for the ones who say, you know, I'm heading home and I needed to hear about the God who was waiting and sees me. Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you. Thank you for the fact that just because we can't see you doesn't mean you're gone. Thank you for the fact that when we can't see ourselves clearly, you see us. Thank you for the tr truth that in the seeing of us and the hearing of us, it brings balance into our lives and equilibrium so we can walk with you. And for those here who say, I want to be and sense an impression that I should be the eyes of God this week, and I think I know even the person, help us in the presence of your spirit and by his power to do that this week. And for those in the sound of my voice who say, I've been, I've been gone a long time, but today's my day. I'm coming home. Realize the Father is running for you as you do that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name of your Son we pray. Amen.